0: come alive with pastor mark martinez god loves
1: us too much to sugarcoat those tough messages and if i care for you as a friend and i was talking to some friends the other day i was like, man if i really care for you as a friend i'm not going to sugarcoat any kind of a message I'm just going to have to be truthful with you, and I'm going to try to be as tactful as I can. And so we sometimes need to allow those people that we're close to to hear a tough message. Hey, man, you're, you're doing the wrong thing. That's not the right way to think, and here's why. And if you back it up with Bible, then that's cool.
0: God gave Saul the opportunity to have his calling confirmed and established. Now that all the necessary elements were in place, the prophet Samuel officially calls all the people together to remind them of their story with God, to explain to them that God never let them down, even though they had been very unfaithful to him, and finally to officially anoint Saul as the king they desired for themselves. As he ceremoniously has all the people pass before him, Saul is chosen to lead them. He hides in fear and insecurity, but God knows exactly where he is. In today's message, Pastor Mark will exhort us to never run from God's calling for our lives. If you sense he's calling you, answer him today. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10 for today's edition of Come Alive. So here we pick up in verse
1: 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 10, and it says, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up, Israel, out of Egypt, and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And so Samuel calls all the people together to present the new king to the people. But notice here that Samuel is true to his calling. What's the first thing that he does? He doesn't just say, oh, cool, Here, here, here's what we, we have to do. Let's go ahead and go through this. But he, he gives them a message. He he declares what God had told him. And if you remember a few chapters back where he had warned them, if you get a king, this is what's going to happen. He's going to require some things from you. He's going to want your children to join the army. He's going to want some of your children to be his servants. He's going to want some of your crops. He's going to want some of these things. And that tends to happen in our own lives. We set something above us, maybe Visa or MasterCard. And now MasterCard, Sir MasterCard, becomes our Lord because we have gotten into some trouble with that. And he's going to require a percentage of our income, a percentage of our time with our children because now we got to work a little extra to pay this bill. Or maybe something else has been said as Lord and Master, as the King of our life. Could be a relationship. It could be something as simple as a relationship where it draws us away from where God wants us to go. And so those things will tend to happen. And so if you remember that, he gives them a warning, and we had that same warning through his word. And again, you know, the Bible's got many different applications, but one interpretation. It goes back to, you can't interpret the Bible many different ways and you might say, well, that's kind of foolish. It's not. No, it's not. Because if I go grab the owner's manual for your car, and I try to interpret it according to the owner's manual of my car, and the battery's on one side of your car, and it's on the other side of my car, and I'm like, I'm going to fix your car according to the way I interpret this manual that I know for my car, I might be tearing something out of your car, replacing something that still won't work. So that's where a lot of Christians find a lot of problems in their life is, hey, I'm trying to interpret this my own way to fit my lifestyle, but it cannot fit any other way than what God has. And so one interpretation. So he goes back and he reminds them, hey, remember where God has pulled you out of. He doesn't say, oh, he's so happy. You know, this is what he really did. No, he's saying, God has rescued you. He was your king. He was your commander. He was the one that saved you, and don't forget that, but yet God wanted to be your king, and you're saying no to him. You want something physical that you can touch, that you can see, that you can hang on to, that you can hug, that you're looking at and going, wow, that is an amazing king, because we hear and we've read that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest, and it was important for them in this culture and in this time to have a leader that looked good. If you had a good-looking leader, he would probably be pretty intimidating to somebody not so good-looking. And so, here they are. So, this message would speak of who God is supposed to be to them, their king. It would speak of his grace and his power, as well as their obligation under the covenant to obey the Lord. And so, it would speak also of their sin. So that's what a message does. I mean, when we go out as Christians and we're sharing our faith with people, we need to realize that our message needs to talk about those things and in that order. Talk about God and his grace. Talk about God and his power. Talk about uh, an obligation that we have as Christians sometimes to do and obey what the Lord says for us to do and obey. But that's for us, not for the guy who doesn't believe in God. Because he is under the power or under the rule of the prince of this world who the Bible tells us is Satan. And so I'm not saying he's a devil worshiper. I'm just saying that that guy lives to his flesh, to please his flesh. And so here again, and then to speak of the sin, to talk about the sin. I think sometimes as Christians, we're afraid to talk about sin. We see many guys on television that are pastors that won't mention the word sin. Well, it's negative. Yeah, of course it is. So is, hey, bro, you're about to drive off a bridge and kill your whole family. That's a very negative message, but on the positive end of that, it saves the family. And so sometimes we just want to clean people up. We don't, we're not worried about their redemption and where they go. We just feel like we should clean them up and make them look nice from Sunday to Sunday, and we've got to be careful with that. So here, Samuel, he does. It's called reproof. And God uses people in his word to get people to acknowledge their sin. He can use you and I. The Bible tells us he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so you and I are those foolish things because we believe in a God that you cannot see, you cannot touch. And just as we spoke last week, well, you can't see the air, but we know it's there. You know how we know? Take a deep breath, remember? (sighs) And in five minutes, if the air was gone, we'd all die. But yet we don't see it, but we trust that it's there. And so it's that same logic that we can use to talk to those guys who say, well, I can't see God, so how do I know he's there? Or you can't see the wind, but you can feel the effects of the wind. You can hear it on the roof there. Thank you, Lord. So you can hear it. And so it would speak of their sin. So if so just by right now, just because that thing quits squeaking, we could say, oh, there's no more wind. That's not true. There's still wind. And so he gives them some reproof. They disobeyed by asking for a king, and only God, Samuel and Saul, knew who the anointed king is, is only God is their king. And notice here, it talks about a commander, Saul being a commander. So they, they wanted a king, they wanted a physical king, just like everyone else. They wanted to be like everybody else. It isn't a feel good message. It's not a real happy day for them to hear, but they're they're going to have a happy day anyway because they're going to get a king. It's a message that needed to be said in the hearing of the people. And I think God loves us too much to sugarcoat those tough messages. And if I care for you as a friend, and I was talking to some friends the other day, I was like, man, if I really care for you as a friend, I'm not going to sugarcoat any kind of a message. I'm just going to have to be truthful with you, and I'm going to try to be as tactful as I can. And so we sometimes need to allow those people that we're close to, to hear a tough message. Hey, man, you're you're doing the wrong thing. That's not the right way to think, and here's why. And if you back it up with the Bible, then that's cool. But God doesn't want us to get away with sin without warning or reproof. So a warning. If you do this, this could happen. So God pursues us relentlessly. Relentlessly. Is And, and God's a God of, uh, uh, he's a pursuing God. He he never just leaves us alone. He constantly pursues us. He may even ruin a nice occasion just to get your attention and lead you to repentance. And that's important when those things happen. You might need to sit there and be like, man, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? He might be like, hey, man, I'm telling you, you're in sin. Look at verse 20. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. So what happens here? They may have cast lots. They may have, it's like, a, it's like dice. They may have cast some lots and said, okay, who's, who's it going to be? So he, he brings the tribe of Benjamin that was chosen. Verse 21 says, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. So they, they bring a whole tribe of people, a bunch of people, let's say 10,000. And then out of that 10,000, there's this tribe, Matri, and there's probably 2,000 of them. And they choose them, and so the rest go and sit down. And out of that 2,000 then, Saul cast some more lots, and then the, the family of Kish would be chosen out of, out of that. So it would go from tribe to clan to family, and then from the family it would go to the individual, and he would choose Saul. And so here Samuel walks them through the process of selecting their king, and he would have the tribes represented by elders present themselves, Benjamin, Benjamin, Matri, and then the family of Kish. And once that was disclosed, you know, then then he would choose Saul. And, and and this is the cool thing is because remember, Samuel already anointed Saul. The only people that knew about this was Saul, Samuel, and the Lord. The servant didn't even know. And so now what was said in private is made public. And sometimes as Christians, that's what happens for us. Sometimes somebody might tell you something in private and and they don't want to go public with it right away. And so, uh, or they're like, you know, I'm just praying when to tell. Maybe the Lord's told you something in private. Hey, do this, do that. But he doesn't want you to go public with it. And so you keep it and you hold it to yourself until the Lord says, okay, now you open your mouth and you speak. And you might read verse 19 through 22. If we look at this, it says in verse 22, therefore they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment, or among the baggage. It'd be like if we were doing it in here, and we're like, okay, here's the family of Kish. Kish, where's Saul? And somebody's all like, hey, Mark, it's over there behind the drum set? Duck down, freaking out, hiding. And so when you read these verses, 19 through 22 together, but you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations, and you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, the family of Matri was chosen. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. So God points out where Saul is hidden. And you, if you read these verses, just kind of like I was doing the other day, I was like, what on earth is going on here with this? What in the world could possibly be taking place? Why? I mean, he knows he's going to be chosen. What's he hiding for? Why is he hiding? Well, we witnessed a man come into relationship with God. And that man now has the power, the, the potential, that privileged position of seeing God work through his life. But what's he do? He hides. He tends to hide. And at the same time, we have the people's reaction here. They're kind of excited. Remember, we spoke about some people whose reaction may not be so understanding when you became a Christian. It was uh, Saul's uncle. He was like, hey, so what?" Samuel say? And Saul doesn't say anything to his uncle that, man, I've been anointed king, and, and I got a new heart, and I was just up the hill prophesying with some, some guys. We were having a great time in the Lord. He doesn't say anything to his uncle. And, and we talked about sometimes you don't because some people aren't going to get it. They don't understand. I can relate to that in my own life. When I got saved, my friends were like, you did what? You're going to give up beer night for church? You're going to give up all the fun you used to have breaking the law for a Bible study? Instead of going to parties on Saturdays, you're going to hang out with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders? What happened? And you sit there, and I tried to explain to this one friend, and all that happened is we became enemies. And we just got further and further apart. He was a good friend of mine. And I remember walking away one evening going, man, I, I, I'm really going to miss that guy. I wasn't willing to go back and be his friend if I had to give up this newfound love, my Lord and My Savior. And all that I was learning. And so there are going to be those people. So they're not going to be or get why you've decided to walk with the Lord. It'll be weird or bizarre for them. And then you have those who, on the other hand, kind of like each and every one of us, we bring someone to church that we know is not saved, and all of a sudden they get saved. And then all of a sudden we're like, all right, cool, man, you're saved. Now you got to give up this, and you got to quit doing that, and you got to quit doing this, and you got to quit doing that. And it's like, whoa, 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 settle down there. Give the guy a chance. <laughs> He spent a long time hanging out with his sin. He's, he's got to get rid of it on his own. That's between he and God. You just can't go in there and start gangbusting. Let the Lord clean the house, not you. And so that's where you get a lot of these people who are like, man, I, I I've been burned by church. I don't like church because they did this and they said I couldn't do that. Oh, they were just well-intentioned people doing the wrong thing. It's a good intention. They just want you to walk the right way, but yet sometimes they come on a little too strong. And we get in their face. It's like, man, I can smell your breath. Back up. Let me just just smell the breath of the Holy Spirit. Let him work. And then later on, you come alongside and say, hey, man, I'd like to help you. I see that you're still struggling here. I want to help you. I'm I'm here for you, but I'm not going to call you every day and go, hey, you coming over? Coming over? Coming over? What about now? How about now? Okay, now? What about? Okay, later? Now? Later? Now? It's like, just leave me alone. I need some time to process. And so we get excited and we want to see them really get on fire for the Lord. And it's like, they don't need lighter fluid, the Lord to do it, you know, but we're constantly trying to hose them down. And so all of us have expectations. The people want a king. They have an expectation that Saul is going to be this great king. He's chosen. The people have expectations that he's going to be great right off the bat. A good commander. He's going to save them from all these Amorites and Hittites and Canaanites and all the people that are around them. And they, hey, Saul, you're going to be the guy. And all of a sudden, you got the guy hiding behind the luggage and the wagons. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Same for you and, and me. We're well-meaning about that friend that we bring to church and that friend that gets saved, but we, we can tend to be a little overbearing, a little fast. But we need to be careful to allow the Holy Spirit to work. And so for some it may be fast, for others it may be slower, but nonetheless it's still the Lord that does the work. We're just to be used as instruments. Gentle, sometimes, like a feather duster. Or sometimes sharp, like a scalpel. But depending on how the Lord uses you. So the expectations are okay. Just be careful with voicing them too soon. So the same thing here. The people have expectations. Samuel says, God has done well in his role of being God. Settle down. And then all of a sudden, Saul jumps behind the luggage. He reminds him, you didn't want somebody that you could not see, touch. And today you get somebody that you can see and touch. But be very careful because now that you have someone that you can see and touch, you may begin treating him like you should have been treating God. I'll say that again. They begin, it's a tendency to put people on pedestals. I've seen it with pastors and it happened in in Calvary Albuquerque. One incident I remembered, I used to call those people the Skipites. And one time, Skip and I were walking to his car, and he was telling me I was I was helping him with something, and he was telling me some stuff that I needed to do, and, and me and another assistant pastor, um, he was walking with us, and we we're and he was telling us, okay, do this, do this, do this, I got to get to the airport, I got 20 minutes to get there, I'm going to try to stop and grab something, and a family ran up and says, oh, hey, Pastor Skip's cool, I mean, we're coming to church tonight to see you, we heard about you, we listened to you on the radio, and he was on his way out of town, and he didn't tell them he was going out of town. And so they kept talking to him for a little while, and the 20 minutes went by. And the guy goes, hey, I just want you to pray for me and my family. Would you pray for us? And he was like, man, I'm real sorry. I got a plane to catch, but Mark and Renard can pray for you. And the guy and Skip walked away, got in his car and drove off because he had to catch a plane. So he drove off, and there he went. And the guy looked at us, and he goes, man, he goes, we'll never come back to this church again. And we tried to explain that his prayers aren't any better than our prayers, and our prayers aren't any better than his. And so when you think that a pastor's prayers carry more weight with God, no. That pastor is just a man that God uses in a different position than what he uses you in. My prayers carry no more weight than yours. And sometimes, you know, people come up and go, hey, can you pray for me? I'll be on my way to go pray for someone else. Hey, call Frank. Frank can pray for you. Call, call, call Joe, he'll pray for you. What, what about Doug? There are these guys, that they know how to pray. It's easy, you dial up God. It's a wireless communication. Any of us can do it. All of us have cell phones. And so, my prayers are not any more important. Skips aren't any more heavy. I mean, it's not like God goes, oh, whoa, there's skip. Hold on, guys. Jesus, Holy Spirit, get that phone call. We know it's going to be good. It's not like that. I promise, so that happens. I've seen it happen. People put pastors on pedestals. I've heard about it happening, and you know what? there's expectations that those poor guys cannot meet. And so you know, I hope it never ever happens here, because I always try to you know play the dumb Columbo type guy so it doesn't happen, but you know, it, it'll happen. And so it's the same way. They get put on pedestals. Expectations are really set high for a pastor or somebody in ministry. And it's set higher than the ones setting the expectations. And it's like, you know, if I turn that around and said, well, I got high expectations for you. You're the church. You go out there and do it. You know, well, you're a pastor. You should be evangelizing. Okay, then you prepare my message. Do my research. Oh, no. It's heavy-duty stuff. It's not right or fair for anyone to do that, to expect more than what they can handle and what the Lord has given them as gifts. So because if those expectations are set so high, that pastor and his family will never, ever meet them. And you know what? It's failure for both involved, for all involved involved. It leaves the pastor and the people disappointed because now the pastor feels that he's got to rise up and try to reach that thing. And now we have a problem of pride taking place. that could take place. Well, that person thinks I can do it. I sure can do it. Yeah, pastor, go pastor, go pa- And it's like, man, it's not a cheerleading squad. It's all about what God gives and allows. And so that's what happens. This is a huge mistake because a pastor is just a fellow brother in the Lord And did you, you know, again, it goes back. Anybody can pray for you. The pastor's prayer carries no more weight than anyone else's. So people are waiting for a new king. This new king is hidden. He's afraid. Oh, hey, guys, there he is over there behind the drum set. That's what the Lord says. Was he hiding out of modesty or out of fear? And you remember we talked about him being a little humble. He was a humble guy. His dad's donkeys were lost. So he's like, I'll go, dad. That could have been a servant's job. And then we see that he took advice from a servant. Hey, instead of moving on and going back home, I heard there's a man from God here, Saul. Let's go listen. Okay, cool. That's a humble man that's willing to take advice from, from somebody that's a subordinate. A humble man. So is he humble? Is he modest? Or is he afraid? Well, I think he's afraid at this point.
0: Every book in the Bible holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks, regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel. And we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you. Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, we'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Katy. Visit ComeAliveRadio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.